Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Jermaine O'Neal, Fachi. Fachi, what's going on, brother? I got a good one today. You never know because (laughs) everybody, we're on camera right now. And there's this quick moment where Alex starts smirking before he says my name. And you never know what that smirk means. But I can always, always take my idol, Jermaine O'Neal, and my name in the same sentence. So, Alex, I'm doing great today. How about you? Oh, I'm doing awesome, man. And I think we are excited because... We got ourselves a very nice Jake Fisher article talking about the Indiana Pacers. Now, Jake Fisher, I believe he's writing for Yahoo Sports now, was Mm -hmm. previously with Bleacher Report, so made that transition this year, and now he's covering the NBA as a a reporter and an insider for Yahoo Sports. And we're actually going to have Jake Fisher on January 30th for an episode. So it'll be about three weeks away from now, but I think that's going to be really exciting and right there close to the trade deadline kind of get a little bit of a pulse of what's going on around the league. But we will have Michael Scotto on from Hoops Hype next week, who Fachi got to meet at the yeah. Knicks game on Wednesday night. So uh, shout out Michael Scotto. But Fachi, let's just start here with this article. Tell me what was the first thing that stood out to you. So first thing that stood out is they basically said that the Pacers are expected to search for upgrades ahead of the February 9th trade deadline. That is a, a you know very different outcome than what many people expected coming into the season. And one position of need that they targeted most, the power forward position. Alex, what were your thoughts on, you know, the power forward position for the Pacers that we thought we had figured out in the beginning of the year with Jalen Smith? And now the Pacers have kind of tried a few guys at the four. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like it's it's obvious the Pacers team needs a long-term power forward. Do I think this is the trade deadline to go out and get it? Maybe, maybe not. It just depends. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of sellers. So I think the asking price for some of these players is going to be a little bit out of the Pacers price range. And I don't think they should overpay. But I will say this. One thing that Jake Fisher did note in this article was that the Pacers are, this, all this is pending upon what happened with Tyrese Halliburton. Now we just yes. talked in the last episode about Tyrese Halliburton's injury. So you have to wonder, does this make them a little bit more of a seller than a buyer because that will change how they go about uh, you know, addressing this. But I think just for talking point case, you know, we should look at it as being buyers. And some of the names that were mentioned in here, Fachi, John Collins, okay? 
a name that makes some sense. Even OJ Ananobi's name was thrown out in this co- in this column, as well as PJ Washington. And I believe later in there was Jared Vanderbilt. And these were four players that we brought up for our Pacers top 10 trade targets. So I'm not saying the Pacers were listening to us, but I think it's just we're pretty understanding of what this Pacer team needs. And that's power forward. So nothing surprised me here, Fachi, in terms of like him reporting that. It's just kind of curious, like, what could the Pacers realistically offer to get these players? Yeah, and it, it does feel good to have some sort of, you know, pulse on it and not have, you know, crazy names out there. They're like, what? What about this? This guy, I never thought we could afford him. These are players that are more reasonable that the Pacers could target. And in specific for John Collins, they said that the Hawks spoke with the Pelicans in the offseason for a deal centered around Trey Murphy and a first round pick. Now, to me, I, I thought when that came out initially, I thought that was a little bit low. But here's the thing. John Collins is not having a typical John Collins year. So I do think that the Pacers are in a spot where if they really want to make a run at John Collins, one, it definitely feels that he is available. And two, the Pacers have the draft capital to be able to go after him and the financial flexibility to not have to match the salary. So I do think that if the Pacers are serious about John Collins, He's very much available for Indiana, and they could be in the lead if they choose to be buyers. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before, but the Pacers were high on John Collins during the draft mm-hmm. process. However, they red flagged him because of the stuff that was off the off the court. So, you know, he's proven that that's not who he is. And I think Kevin Herter was actually just on, I think it was the low post, if I'm not mistaken. And, and in that interview, he talked about all the stuff that's happening in Atlanta, all the rumors, and he's like, Everything always gets thrown on John, but he's like, John's not that guy at all. So I think the perce- I think the perception of John Collins and his off-court stuff is worse than what it is because like when a player actually brings it up, I mean, there's no reason for Kevin Herter to like go to his defense unless he really feels like he deserves to. So plus they're not that, even teammates anymore. Right. That's fair too. I mean, but it's just like, okay, that was his friend while he was there in Atlanta. And I love that he stood up for him and, and kind of praised him there as a good teammate and not a locker room problem that everyone out, makes him out to be. But you know, I think this would be a perfect type of player for the Pacers. But at the same time, how much is it going to cost? That's the biggest question mark for any of these players. And that's kind of why I shot a little bit lower because, you know, they brought up P.J. Washington, you know, more of a cost-effective acquisition at this year's deadline. You know, the Hornets are heading in a different direction than the Pacers. And, you know, basically you're trading to maybe get his bird rights to re-sign him with restricted free agency. So, I could see some interest in the Pacers there with him, but you know, I, I'm just curious. Duarte is the name that continues to get floated out here in this article as some of the Pacers are looking to move. Are you surprised by this? Just in year two, Chris Duarte on the trade block. I, I'm not surprised by it now. Coming into the year, yes, I would have been surprised because Duarte is having um like a nightmare sophomore year. I mean, there, there's no way to put it. I know nightmare. Sounds rough, but his value cannot be anywhere near as, as high as what it was coming into the year. Um, he, he's battled injuries in his career thus far uh, between the ankle, the shoulder, the toe. He's in a shooting slump right now. I feel like this is a rough time to try and trade Chris Duarte unless you're slapping a first round pick with him mm-hmm. or something else. So, I, I don't blame the Pacers for making him available now because of the rise of Benedict Matherin, but I'm curious what you'd be able to get back in return 
for Chris Duarte. Yeah, I mean, I think at the beginning of the season, we were all saying, like, why is Buddy Hield starting over Duarte yeah. and Mather and start these two? Like, these are your mm-hmm. future. It's your rookie and your rookie from last year. Like, start them. And then you kind of see, okay, yeah, we were getting a little bit too hyped up on Duarte's rookie year, you know, and, and Buddy Hield is a really good basketball player and a really good fit for what the Pacers want to do. So very good. now you have to look at priorities, okay? You've already got a log jam with Halliburton and Nimhart at the point guard position. You've got Matherin and Buddy Hill at the other guard position. And then you're looking at, okay, Aaron Neesmith probably going to be playing some more three once they get a power four that they want to address. TJ McConnell's still on the roster. Where's Duarte fit? And I think that's where you have to realize, like, okay, the Pacers understand they have a plethora of guards and they need to kind of condense that. Like, I made a joke at the very beginning of the year, the Pacers have a lot of guards and a lot of centers and no forwards. And it's it's worked. It's worked so far this season. I'm not knocking them for that, but I don't think it's sustainable long term. And so Chris Duarte being a, a trade piece is nothing that surprised me. But right now, his value cannot be any lower at this point. So I don't know how you get it up. Honestly, I think what you're going to have to hope for is a team believes in what he could have been, kind of like the Pacers did with Jalen Smith. You, you trade a low asset to get him and maybe he works out for a different team. I want him to work out for a different team. But I just I would love for him to work out here, obviously. But if they're gonna move him, I would really like to see him get an opportunity to flourish somewhere else because right now it just feels like it's too crowded in that backcourt. It really is. And he is the odd man out. And I don't think that many people can be in disagreement with that statement. And everybody everybody's entitled to their opinion. But right now the ceiling for a Benedict Matherin is so much higher. And for for Nemhard also, I just feel like He's earned his spot, and, and and he's been regarded as the steal of the draft. You touch on Neesmith before. Neesmith's having a career year, and he's been an X factor in so many games. And you look at Duarte, and you know what he's capable of, but it's it's more of like potential-based of like, well, yeah, when he's hot or when he's on, but he yeah. hasn't been hot, and he hasn't been on. And, and that's the thing is that – and out of this group, yeah, he is a little bit of the older man in the crew. He's a 25-year-old, which – you know, still young in, in life terms, but I, I do feel that there are other teams that he could get a fresh start on, maybe a bigger role. And for right now, that those minutes, they're hard to come by unless someone is unfortunately hurt. So I do understand that he is available. And just like you said, you know, I want what's best for him. I, I want him to work out in this league. And I, I'm very fearful that it won't be here, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Is it short-sighted to think that the Pacers should prioritize Buddy Heald over Chris Duarte? Yeah, you could make an argument for that, but Buddy has been that good this year. And yeah. unfortunately, Duarte has not. I don't think it's too short-sighted. I think that there's a case where you can make that, hey, Buddy Heald finishes out his contract here, and maybe they bring him back on a cheaper deal you know, and return and bring him off the bench. I mean, I really believe that that is a possibility moving forward with Buddy Heald if he's willing to accept that role and wants to be here long-term. I think he loves Rick Carlisle. He goes out of his way to praise him whenever he's doing interviews. And so, you know, it's not even that, that I think like, oh, Carlisle's like, yeah, feed my ego, buddy. No, it's just, nah. it's it's the truth. He's, yeah. been, he's been an awesome fit. And I think Doug McDermott even said the same thing when he got traded to Dallas for like half of the season after the trade deadline. Like, yeah, or like a third of the season. It was like, yeah, playing for Rick Carlisle really helped him. And that's what, you know, attracted the Pacers to go out and get him in free agency the year they got him, you know, at midnight. Doug McDermott, that was our big signing. But, 
with that being yes, said, it was. with that being said, obviously it's like some people really love Chris Duarte. So this news is kind of like, man, this is a bummer. But I, I think it makes sense. This this roster is young. Chris Duarte is a good player, and I think he could fetch them something back. Now, it's not going to be much right now because his value is so low, so you're going to have to, like you said, attach things to get him, and that's going to be interesting to monitor. But another young player, Fachi, that was brought up in this article that could be on the move or they could look to find a new home for him is Goga Batadze. Goga Batadze, a, a, a young man who never really got a great opportunity here within with the Indiana Pacers because of their log jam at the center position. When he's gotten time to play, he's proven, okay, there's a little bit to his game. Now, maybe his game is a little bit too old school for the modern NBA, and his inconsistent shot from outside really makes it hard to make a good case that he should be a backup center. But I, I think if given an opportunity similar to Duarte, if there's a team that you need some help in the front court, I think that that Goga is talented enough to be a second string or or probably more a third string, but at least a, a low-end second string backup center. I really do. I, I think Goga is the product of, you know, where you're drafted could dictate your success in the league. Now, it's not always the case for some, but he always, there's always some type of missing thing with him or maybe he get off to a rough start or you know, his visa d- didn't work out in the beginning and he's late to training camp or he's hurt in training camp or there's always something over there um I-, I think goga is better than what his stats will ever show i think that goga is someone that if he played in europe i think he would be awesome mm-hmm. um but I-, I think that he very much needs a fresh start because i, I think the pace pacer fans have kind of settled on Goga's the guy that didn't work out here. He's the he's the third center that we drafted when we didn't need one. Why did we ever do it? And 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 it's unfair to him because no one was expecting that. The Pacers really felt that they grabbed the best guy on the board, and maybe that was. But can the best guy on the board, if he doesn't get enough playing time, ever really reach his full potential? Yeah. No, I, I think that Goga took strides last year. He did. Just unfortunately, he took strides when the Pacers were at the worst that they've been and you know, decades. So I think Mm. at this point, one of the things that they touched on that I thought was really interesting was they said that Goga did not want to go down to the G League with the Mad Ants. And I think at this point, you know, in year four, Goga probably does feel that he is far better than, than, than what he's able to show. But man, he needs all the reps that he could get. And I, and I really wish that he would have gone down there because maybe it would have instilled a bit more confidence in this coaching staff as it relates to Goga. I don't know if I agree with that. Um, okay. What do you got? I just, every time Goga goes down there, he dominates. Dominates. He, he's the G League Shaq. I've called him that saying. before. Like, okay, if Goga's going down there getting 30 and 20 and five blocks, okay, why does he need to keep going down there to prove himself? Okay. He knows exactly that he belongs in the NBA. He's a talented enough player to be in the NBA, okay? Yes, definitely. Bottom, bottom line, he's not a G League type of player. No. Now, you can argue that he doesn't play the right style, maybe for today's NBA, and is a little bit too slow mm-hmm. to be a modern-day you know, modern center. But I say screw that. I think Goga Batadze, and I'm not trying to sit here and act like Goga's the greatest thing that ever happened, but he's just like, you know, TJ Leaf would not go down to the G League. We heard about that. <laughs> And TJ yeah. Leaf needed that way more than Goga because TJ Leaf time. wasn't even putting up monster numbers in the G League, okay? I mean, Terry Taylor went down there, but Terry Taylor's in year two. Goga's in year four. There's a difference, right? I think that when you've proven that you can play in this league, especially the way he played at the end of last season, when there was no Miles, there was no Domas, it was a rotation of him, Isaiah Jackson, and Jalen Smith, 
he was able to fill that role and and had moments of like, okay, this guy's actually got some promise here, and I can see where the Pacers believed in his potential. So, no, I don't have a problem with him not going to the G League, and if anybody does, I mean, I get it. It looks like he's being lazy, but no, it's like he he believes in himself too much to continue to go down there. I mean, understanding getting reps, but it's like you even said it on the last episode. They're not going to send Tyrese Halliburton down to the G League just to get some reps to get himself better, okay? That's just not going to happen. I'm not saying Goga's on that same level, but I'm just saying I understand why Goga doesn't feel like he needs to go to the G League to get better. And what I loved in this part here is it said that the Pacers will be willing to work in tandem with Batadze's representation. So they understand that it's a logjam here, and they understand that Goga's been a good soldier. He's been a good pacer, and they want to reward him. And I'm hoping that they can find him the right opportunity in a trade. And honestly, it makes sense to free up a roster spot for the Pacers because a lot of guys you could look at at 10 days here, or maybe you convert Kendall Brown's contract into a standard contract. And and I would like to see more Kendall Brown, but as it relates to, you know, Goga, I'm looking at it for last year in the month of March now, Granted, the Pacers record was not great in the month of March, but um, Goga for that whole month averaged 14 and a half points, six rebounds on 60% shooting from the field and 44% from three. He did it all in just under 24 minutes per game. Doesn't sound Goga, like a G League guy. No, Goga showed that when given ample playing time, he can make something happen. The shot has looked pretty, might not always go in. But, you know, in, in in recent, you know, against the Knicks, he was two of three. I mean, he hit a big three. Uh, so he, he's shown that he's better than the minutes that he gets. But right now there was also another little bit of crumb trail in that report from Jake Fisher that Daniel Tice has been cleared for light work over here and that Tice is nearing a comeback, you know, to, uh, you know his Pacers debut later in this year. So playing time is going to get even harder yeah. for Goga to come by because Tice is a proven veteran in this league. So I do like the idea of the Pacers being able to work together with Goga's represent- uh, representatives to get a deal done before Tice returns because once Tice returns, I mean, you, you might not see Goga again. Well, they might still work to move Goga even if Tice does return. I think you kind of want Tice to return so that he can showcase himself before the deadline so that he can play and that he's healthy because if the Pacers decide to move him, you know, they've already got Miles, which is, we'll get to that in a second with this report. But you got Miles, you got Jalen, you got Isaiah Jackson, and then you got a small ball five in Terry Taylor that you could play in a pinch if you need him. Do you really need to carry Goga and Tice on the roster still? Probably not. And I think at this point, Daniel Tice, does he want to be a part of this rebuilding team? He's been a good soldier as well. Doesn't seem to be a problem at all. Seems to be a good vet for the locker room. I actually think the Pacers might actually enjoy him on this team as their backup five especially if they do start Jalen Smith with Halliburton being out for a little bit, like, okay, maybe we can dip into the Daniel Tice pool a little bit and see what he can do. But, you know, I, I'm not saying I want to see Daniel Tice be putting up a lot of minutes here for the Pacers, yeah. Fachi, but it, it would be kind of similar to what they did with Tristan Thompson's kind of how I'm envisioning it. Oof. You know, just hearing Tristan Thompson and that that three game pace run, he it, was should good. Never, it should have never happened. Oh, stop. There was no bit. point to it. I didn't the, think he was getting off the plane. I thought they were going to turn the plane around, drop him off elsewhere. Why do you get so anal about that? Because it, uh, Tristan Thompson isn't even in the league anymore. It was yeah, like he looked great for us for three games, though. Look what he did in Chicago compared to compared to us. Compare his tenure with us to Chicago, and then think about 
the amazing farewell Instagram post we got after three games. That, the farewell <laughs> to me outweighed the play because that uh, was such a was such a touching great. farewell for a nine day stint total. I love Carlisle just announcing from the press conference <laughs> after the great. game. Yeah, this is going to be Tristan's last game for us. He's going to be uh, heading up north to another team. And he's like, if you're not sure, Chicago, the Bulls. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. laughing. I'm just like, Carlisle just announces on TV that, uh, you know. Casually, you know. Yeah, Tristan Thompson's like, eh, it's the truth. Why why lie about it? And I just was sitting there at home watching it. I just recorded it on my phone. And then all of a sudden, I uh, see that Tim McMahon had retweeted it. I do remember that. And then Woj retweeted up that. that night. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, my, my appreciation for the Tristan Thompson – uh, era I wonder as a little why bit. you got a soft spot for him. <laughs> yeah, I see you out there trying to get more Bally Sports commercials, uh, uh, make more Bally Sports promo hey, commercials with your team. If they want to throw me on TV, they could throw me on TV. I don't right? think we need to see Fachi on TV. Seeing you on <laughs> YouTube is enough. But um, oh, man. let's move on a little bit now because obviously the, the big thing here was Miles Turner. And a lot of information was brought to the table with what could happen with Turner here in this article. And you can tell that Jake really did a great job of finding information from multiple different sources here, I believe, in, in terms of his reporting. So do you have anything specifically that you'd like to touch on this? Or is there just kind of like, is it hard to like narrow it down based on the whole article? Or It, it is hard. They threw out a lot of different numbers. One thing that they said is the maximum dollar figure Indiana can offer Turner in a simple extension would be $96.7 million over four seasons. And that is indeed the early range for Turner's talks that have circled around the league. However, there are also there, there's there's other options. How We've talked about how the Pacers can get crafty with it. They could offer him an additional $19.1 million to his $18 million salary for now, uh, which could stretch it to $37.1 million. Um, you know, so, and then that kind of gets the, the Pacers – an ability to get crafty where then his salary for next year could be as low as $22.3 million. So there's so many different ways the Pacers can go about this. But Alex, then they got into discussing some bigger numbers that had me a, a little bit shaky. Uh, first, I want to stop, see what were your thoughts on maybe the earlier numbers before we get into some of the bigger numbers that they shared. Yeah, the earlier number stuff is stuff that's just basic contract extension yep. mm -hmm. that doesn't have anything to do with the renegotiation stuff, and he's going to decline that. There's no yes. doubt about that because he can make more money on the open market probably. So was not surprised by those numbers being like preliminary talks, kind of like your starting point type of thing. Hey, let's see what we can do here. You know, you have to start low and work your way up to a bigger offer. And starting low is not a bad thing because what if he's like, yeah, I'll take it. You know, like, oh, yeah. back spasm, let me take it. Yeah. yeah. I don't. I, I want to make sure I get my money, but no. I mean, Turner has been good enough to get more than that. So yes, I think that it's it's pretty interesting. Now, the part where you're getting a little bit nervous, Fachi, you can renegotiate and extend to upward of 180 million dollars over four years, according to cap calculations provided by Yahoo Sports. With the Pacers' recent four-year, $133 million offer sheet to DeAndre Ayton, an obvious benchmark any agent would use in negoci negotiations. I don't Alex, like that. That had me shook. We're talking about $180 million over four years. That's a $45 million average. It ain't happening, okay? That's it, like it's not going to happen. <laughs> it can't happen. No, I mean, $30 million at the most is what I think. I'm, I'm 30 million seems way too much for me anyway. It, it really does. And I know there's going to be, you know, Moss Turner has a very, very, very loyal fan base. So when we, we say that, usually people, what do you mean that's too much? 
here's the thing, guys. Yes, this is a career year, but this is also someone that has not stayed healthy. And and I think that it's very it's very crucial that Turner can stay healthy because when you're talking about those numbers, that would be, in my opinion, that would be the richest contract that the Pacers have ever handed out, ever. We are not an organization that gets an opportunity to hand out many of those contracts. So mm-hmm. when you hand that out, that has to be a way a, a championship-level player. And I do believe when Tyrese Halliburton gets his extension, yes, it's, it's going to be a big one. But you know right then and there that's the franchise. If you're to give Halliburton the max and pay Turner anywhere even in the, that remote category of where you're talking 180, that's yeah. it for this Pacers team. That's yeah. it. There's really not going to be much wiggle room to get better. A $45 million average, I'm sorry, that's reserved for an MVP candidate. Oh, yeah, he's not getting that. No way, no shape. I mean, sorry, it's just not happening. I think the Pacers are probably looking in the 25 to $27 million range would be my guess is what they would max out the most for him. Just my guess. And I think Turner's probably just like, okay, Maybe I'll take that. I mean, I like this team. I like my position. But, you know, one thing that was interesting in this article, it says Turner has expressed a desire to reach unrestricted free agency in the past, but he would also welcome a long-term future in Indiana now that he has emerged as the franchise's focal point in the in the front court. The sides have until March 1st to agree to new terms, which would then make Turner ineligible to be dealt for six months. The trade chatter surrounding Turner has indeed seemed to cool, for years, the Hornets presented a likely landing spot, but now Charlotte does not uh, appear very keen on upgrading its roster ahead of the deadline. Interest from Dallas and New Orleans in recent seasons has also dissipated. Um, but the Lakers, the Lakers seem content uh, wanting a bigger uh, return for their 27 and 29 first round picks than a Turner Hill package. But they did bring up something interesting here. The Clippers remain a legitimate suitor for Turner as well. So, Talked about the Knicks and the Raptors as well being teams that have interest uh, had a, a registered interest in Miles Turner through transaction cycles, but it just throwing out the Clippers there as a strong suitor I thought was interesting as well. But a lot to unpack there, Fachi. I mean, I just think if the contract doesn't come to a, to a head there in terms of like what they're able to agree upon, you have to look to move them. I think you have to. We have to cover our, our, our tracks over here. We we have to you know know that look it, it's. We've struggled to draw free agents in the past. Look at the free agents we've talked about before. Doug McDermott, Tory Craig. I mean, these aren't guys that are making a splash. So it's that if you're going to really lock Turner up for a deal that large, I just don't know how you could raise the ceiling of this team. And if he's not going to commit to a, a somewhat reasonable deal, we're in agreement. That $25, 27000000 million range, I think that's great. That $133 million over four years, that's an average of $33 million. Uh, it, to me, that 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 has me a bit worried right over there. So one thing I want to touch on, Alex, hearing that Charlotte is keen to upgrade right over there, if Charlotte isn't as interested in Miles Turner as they were in years past, do you still believe in true love? Because they have been after Turner for years. <laughs> and I, I feel like to hear that they might not be as interested anymore due to the status of their team, it's a little bit deflating because they that man crush on Turner has been so real oh, from man. Charlotte. But getting into the Clippers over there, what do they have to offer? Eh, they traded a lot of picks for PG. I don't yeah. know what they really got. 
Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, it's interesting. They've got some young players. They've got like Amir Coffee. Maybe Zubach is involved in the trade. Why are you laughing for? I'm just saying. <laughs> I, they got Amir Coffee. It's like, oh, man, is that, is that the starting point of the negotiation no, over there? You, you, <laughs> quit saying over there. You're driving me nuts. Uh, uh, but you got you got players over there. <laughs> no, yep. I'm saying it. Uh, but you do have players on the Clippers, honestly, that could – could be a nice return. I just I just have to look at the roster again. I mean, I know yeah. they got Norman Powell. They've got Robert Covington. And the Zubach probably makes the most sense in a deal if they're going to go for Miles Turner. It's going to be some kind of Zubach swap. Maybe you throw in uh, Luke Kennard, and then you throw in a pick later down the road. I mean, I don't love it. I don't think the Clippers are the yeah. perfect match for us. Maybe if there was some type of three-team deal, yeah. that would make more sense. I mean, if we could really get our hands on somebody better, like, let's just say, for example, we wanted to go after OG and Anobi. Maybe we can throw some picks to Toronto's way, but maybe the Clippers have players that the Raptors might want instead, right? I mean, they got point guards over there. They got they got other guards. They've got other wings. And, you know, we need wings, but Marcus Morris, is he coming to Indiana? No. Nobody on their team is really, in my opinion, someone that we're going to be, like, super excited to get. So, especially if you're trying to move Turner. But I still think you just have to look at your options and, and figure out, what exactly is going to be the best option for the Pacers? And if you don't find any trades you like, then don't make any trades. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I just I just wouldn't want to make a bad trade and get rid of Turner and send him somewhere just because you're afraid of losing him if you don't get anything worth of value back. I, I'm completely with you. Look, we don't need to just just do it just to do it. Uh, if, if we end up walking out on, on, a, on a deal that maybe just trades Goga, Okay. All right. Hey, hopefully we got something other than a second round pick back, but you know, whatever it is, I, I love the spot that we're in with the flexibility on so many different avenues that it feels like the Pacers can sit back. They don't have to get nervous and, and, and force a deal right now because look, no matter what move we make, as, as rough as it might sound, and it really shouldn't sound rough, a championship isn't coming to the Pacers this year. No. All right, so there's no move out there that's going to get us over the top right now. So whatever we do, we do, but we don't have to force it. I mean, I'm not even trying to be, like, negative, but I'm just saying, like, not even a championship run, but not even a playoff run. Not even, like, when a, when a series run is probably coming with this team, okay? Like, if we're being on, in all honesty, like, if we're looking at this team logistically, it'd be – I'd be very hard-pressed to see them win a first-round playoff series and a seven-game series against any of these teams that are going to be in the top eight. So that's kind of where I'm like, don't be silly here and make some moves because in this article, Jake Fisher already said, they're not going after the Bojans or the Jay Crowder types. Those guys don't really seem to be the right fit for them, even though they could play the power forward position. It's not a long-term fit. So another name that was brought up in here that they didn't say anything with the Pacers, but they brought him up was Kyle Kuzma. And I mean, if that's... If they're trying to address the power forward position, we talked about Kuzma a little bit last time. Um, you know, obviously, there's a fear that Kuzma won't resign in Indiana, but it's the Wizards. And I think you could probably find a deal that isn't, like, backbreaking. I think you could talk them into Chris Duarte plus for Kyle Kuzma. Um, I definitely think you could because <laughs> I think they know Kuzma's leaving. Yes. I, I, I do not believe – I would be – stunned if he re-signed in Washington. So I think that the Wizards would love to be able to get someone, you know, who's young, under contract, basically just 
pretty much under contract. So I do think that Kuzma will be traded because if you look at where Washington is in the standings, they're not even in the play-in territory right over there. So right over there, I said it again. It's what I do, man. Like six times. You can count on that. You know who's been a good soldier? All right. Hey, there we go. I heard you earlier. I said it twice. Yeah, whatever. Anyway. Oh, um, there's like a reoccurring thing, man. That it is. That it is. But I do think that Washington looks to move him. What worries me is that he's heading towards free agency, and he seems very excited about heading towards free agency. Even Mm -hmm. a guy who's doing well in the fan vote for the All-Star game is not going to make it. But that's someone who wants to maximize his value in the offseason. So if I'm the Pacers, I stay away. The only reason I would be interested in it is like, okay, if you can give up Duarte and one of your bad picks for him, you take that money, it raises your salary floor where he needs to go because obviously you can absorb that contract. He fits what you need. I think he'd actually be a really nice fit next to Turner and Halliburton. And you get him in here for three months to let him get accustomed to what the Pacers organization's like, playing for Rick Carlisle, how they can utilize him. If if they get to the playoffs, maybe they have a decent playoff series. And he's like, okay, this is better than anything I had in Washington. I'm getting to play with one of the best young point guards in the league. And I get to play with Miles Turner, one of your best rim protectors, and a young and up-and-coming star, Benedict Matherin. I mean, there's a lot of things to like about this team if you were to come here. I'm not saying that it's not that it's going to happen for sure, but we're going to have the cap space to resign him, number one. And number two, the best way to sell somebody on Indiana is bringing them in here and letting them experience them for themselves. So I'm not saying I'm all in on Kuzma, but I do think that Kuzma would be a pretty good fit here if they were able to get him for a pretty reasonable price. If he had a year, one more year on that contract, I'm very intrigued. But at this point, I'm not ready to punt on Duarte and a first-round pick for three months if, of Kuzma. Even if it's a Celtics pick? Uh, no, I'm not. Because I, I You're talking about we, a guy that's not even going to be in the rotation and a he, pick that you're probably not even going to want to keep for a guy uh, that could be in the rotation? Here's the thing. Uh, Kuzma won a championship with the Lakers. So it's not like he's like... Buddy Heald, who's never been in the playoffs or anything like that. Like, he's won a championship. Uh, I, I think that he's going to want to go and contend for a championship elsewhere or just chase the bag. I, I really do think so because he was a late, you know, first-round pick and ended up signing an extension with, with the Lakers that was not, you know, it was a very team-friendly mm-hmm. extension at the time. So I think that even if what you describe is the best-case scenario over there, to maybe be able to convince him to take a bunch of money from us. I just don't – I don't think he'll resign. I think you're low-key. don't want Kyle Kuzma to leave your Wizards. Now nah, you got me. You know? <laughs> why are you so out on Kuzma? I mean, that's – I'm just curious. Because he's heading towards free agency. It, I it, mean, why, why punt on, on a first-round pick and Duarte, who could be here for the next couple of years, for three months of Kuzma? Okay. To, to, to probably not a bad win a first round pick. A bad first round yeah, it, pick. It's 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 not a, it's and definitely a guy not that's gonna not going to be... be in your rotation probably moving forward. What value does Christy Duarte have right now? You could combine. I'd rather throw in another first round pick and go after someone bigger. Not not Kuzma. Oh, I'm, I'm saying like I like no. two picks and no, no, no. I'm not. I'm not a but, mad but scientist. What are you going to get here? bigger than Kuzma with it, it Duarte be, and two picks? The two it, picks that we're talking about are not good picks. They're not that highly valued. Hey, I'm going to leave that to KP because he's pulled a rabbit out of a hat numerous times, and I think that that man could get crafty. I mean, right? I'm not saying he can't, but like. The Pacers also, if the Rockets have the worst record in the league next year, will have the 31st pick in the draft as well because we have that second-round pick Love it. the way it's on there. So, 
I mean, you could trade that Duarte and something else maybe, but I'm just saying like, I just think if the Pacers are trying to be buyers, according to this article, mm-hmm. and they're looking for their long-term answer, you know, I think I think it said that like Atlanta's looked at Kuzma or something like that, if I'm not mistaken. So, and a John Collins type of thing. I, I just think that it does I make sense. I could see the Wizards doing something like that because yeah. Collins will be under contract for the next couple of years. And I think that for Atlanta. But why would Atlanta know, do it if they don't well, get a long-term guy? I mean, that's what I'm saying. I mean, at the end of the day, what you have to realize is like the Pacers don't get free agents. They never do. Okay. Yeah. But the best way to get them to come here is to trade for them first and then have their bird rights and then try to work with them, even though it's going to be unrestricted. I still think that it makes more sense to go that route than to waste your money and all your picks and stuff to go get John Collins and overpay for him. Because under what contract. Is, yeah, for how long? A couple of years. A couple of years of how much? Mm, yeah, I think it's a, I think it's like 25 uh, money. Yeah, I mean it is, but what, what's Kuzma going to be asking for? It ain't going to be cheap. Okay, well then you you have a price range. At least you get a chance to see what he looks like. If it doesn't work out, you at least you know, and you're not tied to it for four years. I, at best, I'm catching Pedro Stojakovic vibes coming over here for half a season, dipping, trading okay. our test. I, I honestly, when trading I was our test. Come on, we, now. we had to. Are That's you what? trying to talk about Duarte as our test? No, I'm saying that Pedro came over here. Even though we made the playoffs, he played, I think it was two games where we beat the I know the what Nets Pedro did here. And then he, he chucked it up and said, hey, see you later. And that was it. He was well, we gone. were rebuilding. We didn't have any promising young players like a Tyrese Halliburton been in the gathering. As a we? kid, I never forgot that. And I never liked Pedro again. All right? And never <laughs> but, but did. I get what you're saying with the vibes of him leaving. But you're like, we gave up Ron Artest for him. It's like, who are we giving up for Kuzma? Like, you can't say that giving up Duarte for Kuzma is equivalent to giving up Ron Artest for Peja. Nope. I'm just saying that to, I don't like trading for uh, a player that's only going to be here for half a season if we're not contending. That's okay. my point. Okay, that's fair. I understand your point. And I agreed with you the last time we talked about that, not overpaying for him. But mm-hmm. I just wonder, do the Pacers think that Duarte plus a pick is overpaying for Kuzma? If if he had one more year, like I mentioned, I think he'd be the perfect player to go after that would be available. Like, I really yeah. do think it would be like, oh, my God, great. This this season, uh, you know, this half season, and then next year, wow, we could be – we could make some noise, maybe win a playoff series, maybe, could you know, compete. But now at this point, I'm like, ah, don't – just – just don't. Mm-mm. All right. Stay your away. Point, your point's well taken. I just wanted to argue a little bit with you because I haven't good. done that in a while. We, we have not. And I think that people listening to this could definitely be on either side of the fence. Yeah. Maybe we'll have to throw up a poll. Yeah, maybe we will. We'll, we'll let this one sit for a little bit. But let's go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back, we'll close out the show with our fan of the week, the, the one and only Rooster, right after this. All right. Joining us now on our Fan of the Week segment, the first one of 2023. We are doing it. We are back. And Bachi, who better to bring on than the one, the only Rooster from social media, always commenting, tagging us every time the Pacers get a W. So, Rooster, I mean, just hit us with it. We're ready. What do you got for us? It's it's not it's not ridicule. It's just I want us to all be on the same page as far as what the win total is and, you know, how wrong you guys were. And <laughs> hey, that's I, accurate. It it was hard to tell before the season because of potential trades and everyone saying we were going to tank. But I just looked at it and I thought, these guys are too good to be 
that bad. And it's a, it's a valid point because look, I wanted to believe coming into the year, I really did. But just everything that we were hearing and how young the team was and the trades, trade potential hanging over our head, felt like at some point the Pacers could blow it up. But if everybody who's not aware, we did make a deal, and Alex and I are going to owe you a jersey because you talked a big game, and you know maybe the game wasn't too big because I think no. you said 32-33 wins, which is a very mediocre season. Well, at least we had them in the top five picking, so I'll <laughs> at least give you credit because you gave the Pacers far more credit than we did. Yeah, I don't think I talked a big enough game considering so. right now I'm looking like I could be 10 or 12 picks games below but they're playing really well so yeah and I mean honestly like you said nobody knew it was going to happen I think me and Fachi when we did the schedule prediction we thought there was going to be trades that would happen before the season started so not saying that our win projection would have been that much higher but I think if we thought Miles and Buddy were here to the deadline maybe we give them like four or five more wins but still not enough like you said it's just we completely undersold this team and it is what it is they've been a fun enjoyable team to watch but I'm curious from your standpoint, maybe what's one or two things that have really stuck out to you this season about this team that you like? Everyone that that predicted anything having to do with the Pacers and watching the last half of last season, it was all about defense. And last season, our defense was atrocious. We didn't have miles, but it, it was bad. And this year, I feel like the defense – while still sometimes bad or at least not great, I've been to, I think, five games in the stadium, and I've watched every one on TV that I didn't go to. And the defense is better than than I think anyone could have anticipated. And Neesmith and Nimhard have been excellent. Um but actually, the defense that I've had stand out, am I the only one that notices that Buddy Heald is guarding the best player on more than one occasion? I mean, I've seen Sometimes. him guarding Kevin Durant. I've seen him guarding – I mean, and he's – he gets cooked sometimes. But he that. also makes some pretty good plays. I, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but I don't think Buddy's as bad on defense as advertised. I think he's buying into to defense more than ever before. And I think it was earlier in the year I commented one time, like, Buddy was guarding Porzingis. And I was like, what are we doing over here? Because there's such a height differential. But I feel like everybody is buying into it. And for a guy like Buddy, where in the beginning of the year, it was like, hey, we could probably get a first-round pick from maybe. Now, all of a sudden, you know, Pacer Nation just feels like, Look, I'm I'm having fun watching him. He's leading the league in threes. He's trying defensively. I mean, over here, I mean, what do we do? Do we ride it out with Buddy for at least this year? Because how many picks is too many picks to get, Rooster? Yeah, I mean, I don't think they can draft three players this year. They can't. So, like you said, how many two picks you could stockpile in the future, like, OKC, but how's that working out for them? Um, I got to tell you, to me, whether or not you trade Buddy, you don't want to give anyone this much power, I guess, but I would ask Tyrese because he and Tyrese's chemistry, I mean, Buddy's always been a, a shooter, but 
Tyrese is the the combination of Tyrese and Buddy is the number one assist combo in the league. And nice. the one thing that I thought's always made the Warriors great is the gravity that they have with Steph and Clay. And Buddy gives you that gravitational pull. Also having a shooter or a guy that can shoot at the five and miles, I mean, this could end up being Golden State East, you know. Mm, that's the, a bull take. Well, we can dream. Not, we not, can dream. Not, not, not from a dynasty standpoint, but just the flow of the offense and the spacing. I mean, uh, you know, it, it, Goga's hitting threes. I mean, Duarte's not, but Liz Goga is. Oh, oh, don't get me started. I love Chris <laughs> Duarte. I, you won't find a bigger Chris Duarte fan. I actually predicted him getting picked by the Pacers. Hmm. And I, yeah. my friend Should've was all thought it was crazy. Well, I don't know. I Bob Myers wanted Duarte. I don't know. It. He said Duarte was like the next Clay Thompson. Now Clay's gone through some shooting slumps, but this one's getting getting pretty rough. It's been bad. It's been really bad, Rooster. And I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like I I know I wasn't like a huge fan of the pick when it happened, but I, I grew to love him last year. It was awesome, and I really thought. You know, with his shooting ability, and I thought he was actually, I think he still is a good defender. Like, that's the one bright side to him, even during the shooting slump. Like, last night against the Knicks, he had some really nice plays defensively. So, you're not losing that. And if he can find that shot again, like, he's going to be a good player in the league. I just think, for whatever reason, he was a better fit with the Sabonis era and how Sabonis got him a lot of looks with the dribble handoff kind of, you know, shot selections instead of oh just stand in the corner and wait for a kick out and maybe you'll get a look here because that's kind of what the offense is now and it's not really his style but you know there's a lot of different ways we can look at this team and I don't want to get into all that but you said Duarte was your favorite one of your favorite players um maybe maybe talk to me a little bit about the rookie class this year what do you think about this rookie class I uh before the before the draft I was optimistic i thought maybe the pacers would make some sort of a trade to get a second lottery pick and i thought man could we fleece the kings again and maybe we end up with some combination of matherin and murray or you know just being the eternal optimist but matherin is excellent i love benedict matherin's game the only thing is he's getting called for a lot of charges and he's not getting called. They're not calling fouls against other players when he drives to the basket. I mean, he's getting clocked and Tyrese it's, it's a respect thing. Tyrese got fouled last night when he got injured and they didn't call foul there either. And it's just, if Matherin can start getting some whistles and he needs to, you know, he's hit kind of a wall with his three pointer. Mm -hmm. Um, Aaron or uh, Andrew Nembhard, wow. I mean, I, I've i made a comment before and everyone argues with me, but I think when the dust settles on this draft, I think the Pacers realistically could have gotten two top 10 picks or even possibly two top five picks. And I don't think everyone should sleep on Kendall Brown. Um, you know, there's a possibility Kendall Brown ends up being – in the twenties, as far as a redraft, his athleticism, I mean, he's raw. So's Isaiah Jackson, but 
there's upside with both of them. And of course, Isaiah was last year, but, but, yeah. uh, Kevin Pritchard's really nailing the draft the last couple of years. I guess if Isaiah and Duarte pull out of these slumps, but I'm thrilled with what we've seen so far. I mean, I, I'll, I'm, yeah, okay. Isaiah, Isaiah and, and, uh, Duarte looked excellent last year. So. They really did, and that's kind of the thing that's been frustrating is because most of us viewed last year's draft class as one of the best classes that we've seen. This year it feels like both players, I want to say maybe took a step back, but definitely didn't take a step forward. But for my last question before we close this out, I mean, we were a little hesitant on if Rick wanted to enter a rebuild at this point in his coaching career. I think he's done an awesome job. What's your thoughts been on Carlisle coaching such a young group and how far ahead they are compared to expectations. I guess I would have said I would have been nervous in the beginning because it didn't seem like his relationship with Luca and Dallas yep. really Dallas. went that well. But what he's done, I mean, he's been great with Miles. He's it, I, I've seen reports where they said that uh, Carlisle was lobbying for Tyrese Halliburton to win Rookie of the Year, and that's when he was coaching the Mavericks and Tyrese was playing for the Kings. Who who lobbies for another player on another team to win Rookie of the Year? I that's that's big, and you know I'm a firm believer that Rick Carlisle and Tyrese Halliburton are why Jalen Smith resigned. I mean the chemistry. Rick is building a culture now. He's got a guy like Tyrese who's making it a lot easier, but with the wrong coach, I mean, how, how well did Tyrese build culture in Sacramento? You know, he didn't have the right coach there. And with Rick Carlisle and Tyrese, they're just really building a good team, I think. And, and, you know, on, not that I listen to any other podcasts, but <laughs> on, on the, on the Woj podcast, um, Tyree said it. People will want to play here because we're playing the right brand of basketball, and we're going to win. And you know they're they're doubling up the expectations, or they're doubling up what everyone expected on wins this year. So you know it's looking good. It's it's been an, an awesome treat so far, and I do think that Tyrese will be the guy to change the culture over here and get guys paid, which is the incentive for, you know, wanting to come over here. Hey, he will make you better. But Rooster, as we wrap up over here, tell everybody where they could fo uh, follow you on social media. Uh, I'm on, I'm not very good with social media. I just learned how to be on Twitter. Like I tweeted us. Yeah. <laughs> I, I learned, a, I, when I joined Twitter, I literally only joined Twitter for Pacers basketball and, uh, you know, I've met a lot of people on there. I'm going to be honest. I don't even know what my handle is. It's Rooster. 62, I think. Yeah. it's. I mean, sorry. I should have studied for this exam. But, uh, <laughs> well, I'm used to yeah. you dropping the ball like you did at the shrimp cocktail eating contest. Um, How many did you even eat? How many pieces did you <laughs> I didn't. Two? I didn't count them. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out how the guy that won threw one up. And didn't get disqualified. I mean, I because well, he still had like ten more than you, even if well, you threw one I, up. Look, I had had St. Elmo's shrimp cocktail sauce once in my life, and I remembered it being very hot. And yeah. I walk out onto the court, and I'm thinking, 
I'm going to eat like 10 of these and I'm going to throw up and I'm going to look like a fool. So I'm just going to pace myself. I got yeah. started and then I got that first blast of just atomic spiciness. And I was like, oh, Lord. And I don't know if you could see on the Jumbotron, but my face got red and I you started to cry. <laughs> and all of a sudden I thought, okay, this isn't too bad. I can handle this. And I turned and looked to the right and I saw that other guy just just smoking them like Joey Chestnut in a hot dog contest. And I was like, you know what? That's you it. Know, like, <laughs> like the Pacers losing their last 10 games last year. This, this isn't my year. I'll just, <laughs> yeah. and I told my sons, I said, boys, if I get another chance at it, I'm going to go hard. I'll make sure I got my setting, setting the pace t-shirt on and I'll, and I'll, I'll represent a little better next time. Yeah. You were but setting I, the pace but, for sure. But I, w- I will have to, as much as I love representing you guys with setting the pace shirts, the next couple games I go to, I've got the F Wally Zerbiak shirt for the next game. And I got another one that I'll, I'll send you a picture of. It's just a Pacers emblem. And then uh, pacing the future on the back with a list of all of our good young players. Mm, and cool. uh, I'm, I'm going to wear that. So, yep. Love it. Love it. Hey, I uh, really appreciate you coming on. We'll have to have you on again, uh, you know, later in the year, but definitely want to thank you for all your support for the show. It's definitely noticed. So we had to have you on. And until uh, next time, hit us with these three words, Rooster. What do you got for us? I got five. Let's go Pacers over there. I love it. I love it. There we go. Well done. Well done. And Fauci, congrats on little girl. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Hey, first one. Family's getting bigger. It's awesome. The world needs more Wizards fans. So go team. Get this guy out of here. Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Mm -hmm.